Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Underground filmmaker Barbara Rubin's 1964 art porn masterpiece, Christmas on Earth, was made when she was 18 years old, and it shattered the creative and sexist boundaries and shocked the New York City's experimental film scene. Working with Jonas Mekas at the Filmmakers yep. Coop, Barbara Rubin was instrumental in creating New York City's thriving underground film community and a rare female voice in a world of powerful men. A rebellious zealot of the 60s, she introduced Andy Warhol to the Velvet Underground and Bob Dylan to Kabbalah. Shaping the spirit of the 60s, Barbara Rubin was seeking a deeper meaning of life. And it is all explored in this remarkable documentary. Just such a fun and enjoyable and enlightening documentary called Barbara Rubin and the Exploding NY Underground. And we're joined today by the director of that film, and that would be Chuck Smith. Chuck, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks, Mike. Um, great to be here. Thank you. Again, I just what I said, I just, just love the film. I love that uh, you were able to bring to my attention a part of this seminal part of American society in, in terms of its impact on art and music and so many other things, social issues as well. Uh, I didn't know anything about her, uh, and uh, tell me a little bit about Barbara Rubin and how you got to know her and your decision to turn this into a documentary film. Yes, well, I mean, it certainly is a very overanalyzed, very analyzed period in American history, the 60s, um, because it was so influential, and I love the fact that there are still so many new stories to tell from that period, and certainly female stories or women who were very influential um, back then at a time when really the society was still pretty sexist. So cultural boundaries were breaking down, but I don't think the male-female boundaries had broken down yet. So a creative woman like Barbara Rubin had a really difficult time finding her footing. And um, Barbara is such a fascinating and was a fascinating person to me because she really didn't think that being a woman held her back. She just did whatever she wanted to, and she just cut loose and really tore through this scene um, with this shocking film, Christmas on Earth, and um, really was a powerful force back then because women just didn't act the way she was acting in New York City, even in the underground. And, um, and there was some pushback from some of the men at the Warhol factory, which is a very male-dominated place. Um, you know, a strong woman like that did bump into some pushback. Yeah. Um, but I like to think that if she existed today, um, we would have really respected her for who she was. And that's why I love retelling the story, um, a way to look at this critical period in cultural history, um, you know, through new eyes. Well, how did you come to know her? No, I, I had never heard of her, and, and no one else would ever hear of her because she did a very good job of trying to erase herself. Um, and so she really is only remembered in people's memories. And, um, but a friend of mine who I had done a film about a, a forgotten painter who was very influential. And, you know, I like to pick subjects where no one else would do a documentary on them. So I have no competition. Um, and so I love these obscure people. 
And so I went to him about another film, and he said, well, that sounds good, but do you know who Barbara Rubin is? And I said, no. And within one minute, he told me, and within one minute, I knew this is my film. Um, and then just be- and then I saw a picture of her, and I was like, oh, my God, she's the coolest-looking chick in the 60s. Right. And then you see pictures of her with everybody, you know, um, you know, messing up Bob Dylan's hair, his, her arm around Allen Ginsberg. And you're like, wow, why does she keep popping up in all these photos? And, and what did she do? And, and then her religious turn, I'd always been fascinated with Cat Stevens' story. And that's what was icing on the cake. So. Yeah. And, and for people who are hearing about her for the first time, uh, I'm just going to, if you have the album, I believe it's Bringing It All Back Home by Bob Dylan, and you look on the back, I think it's on the back, there's a picture of a woman yep. kind of musting up uh, uh, Bob Dylan's hair. That's Barbara Rubin. And also, there's just, you're right, she, she, you will, she was kind of hiding in plain sight if you were, but now now I know her, and now I'm looking for her in, in these different, you know, like you, like your film, but in terms of just her, where else was she popping up? And... This, and that's what makes this such a a great documentary is, and this is the beauty of documentary filmmaking in general, and that is to find something that you know virtually nothing about or very, very little and make it come alive. And I felt that that was, even though almost all the film is spoken, were spoken about her uh, in terms of we don't hear her voice. Um, well, we actually do hear we do hear her voice a little bit. There's been some misprints about that. I very little bit. You can hear it, and I love her laugh, and I love hearing her energy. Um, but you're right; it's mostly old footage and um, these glimpses of her, which I found very fun as a filmmaker because you're only given so much. I only have little glimpses of her in um, moving pictures and then stills, and it's like, how do you bring this woman alive um, when you have so little to work with? And um, and in that case, Jonas um, helped me immensely because he had the letters and and he's sort of the emotional center of the story because he still loved Barbara and um, wanted to bring her stature back because he, he never forgot her. And so you have this 90 year old, 92, 94 year old man, you know, remembering this woman that he clearly loved and um, and wanted to have more attention than she ever got. Well, let's let's uh, take a half a step back and and talk about her work uh, and her sort of she originally sort of comes onto the scene with a film, Flaming Creatures. Or or do you want to actually would it be better if we talked about how she got to New York or how she got involved in the scene? Um, just I mean quickly as she was at sort of a uh, uh, mental health drug treatment center. Actually, with Edie Sedgwick is another name. She was, she was there with Edie before either of them had been to the factory, two women from totally different backgrounds. And um, basically, they said they'd let her out if she had a job. And, and Jonas Mikas, who was running the Filmmakers Co-op, said, I'll give, I'll give this woman a job. He was a family friend. And um, so this woman who was just ready to be, do whatever she wanted to was dropped into a circumstance where she could uh, just let loose and she borrowed Jonas's camera almost immediately and started making her own films. But that early film that she championed that sort of was breaking boundaries here in New York was Flaming Creatures, Jack Smith's film Flaming Creatures, which was being, people were being arrested for showing it and um, Barbara immediately saw this as a, 
important point that you should be able to show any film anywhere, anytime, and make any kind of film you want to. And so she immediately championed Jack's film and then started making her own film that went five times further than Jack Smith did. And <laughs> that was her film, Christmas on Earth. And, um, you know, very close up of genitals. She just explored with the camera uh, a female and a male body and two male bodies together. And um, But it's not porn. It's, it's art. You know, it's very uh, uh, explicit. But for that period, um, it was shocking to everyone. Well, just showing showing a, showing a, a male or a female body in that time period was in and of itself enough to be called pornographic so it you're what to absolutely your, yeah you just had to show I mean, genitals and that was i it. mean they called any foreign movie was pornographic you couldn't show a movie from sweden remember back then there was this you know any foreign movie was sort of code for for sex and these were very lightweight movies, but they were they had to be played before a board and approved by um, this council. And I mean, you could not there was not cultural freedom there for, for films. Um, and a lot of those boundaries had been broken in in writing and books were being, you know, had been banned 10 years earlier. And now films were being totally banned. And, and Barbara just went totally against that and said, I'm going to do whatever I want. I want to come back and and talk about Christmas on Earth. I in in terms of you you did describe it some somewhat that it is in fact uh, for and I haven't seen the entire film. Obviously, I've just seen the clips that are in the film in uh, in your film. But there's uh, female vagina basically in is it most of the film or the entire film in, in the <laughs> kind of it's a, well it's it's not only is it is it very graphic? It also, the way she decided to project it was a double projection yes. with superpositions. So she's doing all these layers as well as very explicit stuff. So the idea, I think, was to have this close-up of a vagina sort of as a background for another image inside of it. And at times, I mean, you know, I can detail describe it, but it's, yeah, it's like lips within lips. I mean, she did a close-up of someone's lips and then... The female lips of the vagina, you know. So she really was thinking a lot about what she was doing, and it was very close up and scientific. Richard Foreman talks about how clinical it was. Like, he was like, um, you know, it was very scientific what she was doing, but also very arty. And she also, for the first time that I know of in these art films, had two men kissing. And so it really didn't matter who was kissing whom. And she would paint the body. She painted people's bodies. Um, it just was, it was very out there. Well, it was and, breaking down barriers. And, and, and well, I think yeah. the, the idea that a woman would make a film about essentially, a, you know, a very female perspective, it's, it's, that's what I got from watching what, what I see in the film was yeah. she is saying, this is a woman's perspective. This is, a, yeah. in case you needed to be reminded, by the way, here's a vagina. <laughs> yeah, and, and, so, and I've got and I've got one, and so does every other woman. And so and does every yeah, exactly. And you know, it's funny. While you're saying this, I just remembered this woman, Lillian, who knew Barbara, just sent me an email. She's from LA, and she said she was there the first time they screened it at the theater, and um, she said, uh, you know, she was trying to get funding for other stuff. She had these very upper crust people came. She was. They invited everyone to the screening. And 
people were walking out. People were shocked, laughing, screaming. I mean, it was a scene. And so they actually projected this. And Barbara made sure that all sorts of people were there. And it was a, a huge, uh, crazy scene. And people were running out. People were screaming. And, you know, just the fact that a film could, could do that at that point. Um, I love that. It call, it just calls into question the whole idea that just the, the sight of a vagina apparently makes yeah. people completely nuts. Yeah. And yeah. why is that? Again, this is sort of what I took from watching what I saw in 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 your film from from uh, Christmas on Earth is that why is this? Why seeing somebody's genital, which everyone has <laughs> genitals? Yeah. And why is this such a shock to people to actually right. see? And and so it's yeah. yeah, I just the whole idea this is what I loved about this period of time. It was it was the I the idea to challenge our perceptions of so many different things. And certainly yeah. sexual politics were in the forefront of what was being bantied about amongst these these artists because America the late 50s well before I mean we were just beginning to acknowledge each other's sexuality and any on any level at that point so she leapfrogged everything and just went right to the heart of the matter and um you know and it kind of just blew people away yes and and from that point you know she she loved filming she did other types of filming with Warhol and um, a lot of actually sort of really run-and-gun documentary-style stuff, using a camera almost like an iPhone, was really the other way that she sort of broke some boundaries filmically, I think. You know, so she, not only did she do these very explicit, crafted scenes, you know, with naked bodies, but she also went out on the street and would, you know, just shoot Warhol events in this crazy fashion that is very anticipatory of the way we use cameras you know, later in today. Yes. Thank you, because that's not the entirety of her perspective or her artistic right. output. It, it was just something I think that she she sort of planted a flag in the ground and said, yeah. this is what I want to be about. And then yeah. from there, exactly. she was able to expand out in her perceptions and also the circle of people that she brought into her life, that she was a part of their lives. I do want to talk a little bit about her relationship sure. to Allen Ginsberg and how she seemed to be intent on putting people in the same room as she as much yeah. as she could. Well, and the Velvet Underground, I mean, so in the same way that her film shocked everyone, you know, what was the most radical um, music going on back then? It was the Velvet Underground. And yeah. right away, the second she heard them, she was like, this is perfect. I love this music. And, and it was breaking boundaries in the same way that her film was. So... It was very, you know, for someone to love the Velvet Underground immediately was not easy back then, but she got it immediately. You know, she became friends with them and promoted them as much as she could. She would drive them to the factory. You know, and and some people at some point might call her like a a groupie, but that's totally not what she was. And anyone who was there at the time knows that. She was really a promoter and a fan and somebody who helped these guys. And, you know, Lou Reed called her the glue that held us all together, and he used to call her fabulous and so, yes, she would drive them to the factory, but she was not just a worker. She was uh, a real supporter and, and helped them stay together and and do their thing. I don't want to give the whole film away. I just think the arc of her life is fascinating. There are elements of it that are sort of harbingers of her later life, her fascination with yes. religion, Judaism, particularly the uh, Kabbalah. 
and and other things that happened. But she was she had her issues in terms of her sort of there were some mental health issues that she was struggling with. But she mm-hmm. always seemed very vulnerable vulnerable to me. In her work was extremely vulnerable. I don't know that you could be more open in the way that she approached what she was trying to accomplish as a filmmaker and as an artist. Um, yes, I her, think that's true. She was she was fearless. I love Jonas when Jonas calls her fearless. She was absolutely fearless. But, you know, living your life that way for a long period of time can get exhausting. So, yeah, I mean, we can talk about that too. But, yes, at a certain point, the whole group and the family feeling of the film, early filmmakers and, and uh, the group that she was in started to break apart. Right. And that begins the second part of her life. Right. But before we get to that part, I just, I, I don't think it, it's, I'm understating it to say that in some ways she was a, she was a facilitator. Again, war, she introduced Warhol to the Velvet Underground and she, and Dylan to Kabbalah and, and Dylan to, yeah. and Dylan into all, all the lives of other artists and this yeah. sort of back and forth. And I love I love artists like this. Often you yeah. will hear about an artist who is so consumed with what they do, not judging them, but they just are. Yeah. But here's a woman who, who wanted to tap into this sort of zeitgeist that yeah. was going on in New York, right? Absolutely. So at a certain point, yes, her, her output wasn't great. She didn't put out like seven or eight films, and she, didn't, she really has the most one famous film. But really, if you were there at that period, she was the whirlwind. She was the one that you were noticing at parties or at the factory. I always tell people, if you were at a party back then, Lou Reed or Bob Dylan would not be the ones to attract your attention. They'd be quietly in the corner. You know, people might be staring at them, but they would not be making a scene. But Barbara Rubin would be doing something that would make a scene. These people are very alive in the moment, and then they disappear from history because if they don't leave too much behind... I always say, like, Socrates probably had a really hilarious drinking buddy, but you don't read anything about him, because Socrates is the one who wrote everything down. <laughs> but, you know, this drinking buddy might have influenced Socrates amazingly. Right. And we forget about him because he didn't write anything down. So Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, anyway. I'm endlessly fascinated with this part of uh, America's history, and, and, and certainly art history, New York's history. I, I just find this confluence of people to be compelling, interesting, flawed, and at the and as I said, very open to the moment, open and and vulnerable. You you say, you know, it's it's just there's so much about it that uh yeah. it is I so fascinating. Just such a fascinating yeah. watch. Well I want to let people know, by the way, we've been we are talking with the director of the film and this this wonderful film, Barbara Rubin and the exploding NY underground. And you'll be in town for the, the film opens here in, in Los Angeles, opening up the Lemley Music Hall on, on June 14th. And it's also going to be screening at the Lemley Royal in Los Angeles on the 17th, as well as the Lemley Playhouse 7 in Pas- Pasadena, the Lemley Town Center in Encino, and the Lemley Claremont 5 in Claremont. All of those are on the 17th as well. But you're in town for a Q&A. It sounds like you're coming here for a Q&A on the 17th and 18th. Is that, did I get that correct? Yes, yeah, 17th and 18th. So the later runs when it's all over different theaters. <laughs> well, good. But for... yes, I'll be there then. And uh, and very excited about bringing a little bit of New York underground to L.A. Oh. You know, one of my favorite parts of the film, and I, I know this was something that Warhol loved to do, but the... Uh, 
the screen test where oh yeah and I, I just love watching her. Uh, that's the other thing. She, she is such a compelling, yes. beautiful person yes. to look at. I just could have looked at her for, and I could have, I could have watched that screen test all for an hour. I mean, she was just. Um, a, so I felt the same way, and and I was so happy it was a well done screen test. And of course it was because Barbara herself shot screen tests. You know, she shot Bob Dylan screen tests, and she shot other screen tests. So um, hers looks perfect, and and it really was a brilliant thing that Warhol did because you really capture the person's personality. So in four minutes, when I watched her screen test, I watched her go from happy, frustrated, uh, sad. You know, you, you go through these emotions in your face, and yeah. you can really see the restlessness. And it's very much like Dylan's uh, screen test as well. Who he does the same thing. In fact, Dylan got up and walked out on a second screen test he just got up and left um but screen tests were great and the, the kiss is another great yes. series that barbara was very much involved in and yeah. i'm not going to say that it was her idea but those are the kind of things that um barbara would be talking to andy about and what kind of films to do um and you know so certainly sensuality and kissing was something that was up barbara's angle uh, Barbara's Alley way more than Andy's, but he was fascinated with that yeah. and did this whole series called Kiss. Yeah, I, I think of Warhol as he he's a he's a voyeur, and I think that's fairly yeah. well established. And I think that it fits his perspective in that regard. That these screen tests were you were not allowed to speak, and you were on screen yeah. for somewhere between three and five minutes. And again, so much is revealed in the human face. So much comes out in three to five minutes of watching someone who cannot say anything. It is remarkable. Yeah. It truly is. That There was a, a yeah. film a few years ago uh, that was all of 13 uh, um, screen tests, Warhol screen tests that came out um, with, a, with a soundtrack by a protege, if you will, of the Velvet Underground, the, the group Luna, uh, Dean oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. it, their music, I, I love the, the, the underground. I mean, I love Velvet Underground, and I love what uh, Dean Warham's done with with Luna, and how what a what a wonderful kind of extension of that music he's he's created as well. Absolutely, no, I think that's great. And those all those films need to be remixed and redone. Every, you know, yeah. show them whenever you can with different soundtracks. They were all they were never meant to be um, put in museums and like locked down to a certain thing. They were like wallpaper and you know Andy would show the the Empire State Building film which is 8 hours of the Empire State Building <laughs> he would just show it on a wall as wallpaper sometimes and um and again that's another film that Barbara saw and was like well Jonas shot it her his, her good friend Jonas shot yeah. that film yeah. and Barbara was probably a little bit involved in that but right away she was like this is the best film ever and <laughs> I don't know anyone else who would, who would watch Empire and say it's the best film ever but that's an out-there person, and that's how you love her. Uh, well, Chuck Smith, thank you so much. Again, the film is Barbara Rubin and the Exploding NY Underground. It comes out here in Los Angeles at the Limley Music Hall on June 14th, and we'll be screening at a variety of other Limley theaters uh, in the Los Angeles area. You can go either to the uh, com website, or you can also go to the filmschoolradio.com website to find out where all those things are going to happen. And Chuck Smith, the director of Barbara Rubin and the Exploding NY Underground, thank you so very much for the film and for spending time with us here on Film School Radio. Thank you so much.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.